Hi, this is Ian Harvey, Toka U.S. brand manager. I'm here with Gus Shoemaker. Gus is the defending World Junior Nordic Ski Champion and the U.S. National Skate Sprint Champion. I did a series of three interviews with him earlier this year to sort of introduce him and to give people a chance to get to know him. This interview is to simply catch up and get his thoughts on the recently finished World Cup mini tour called the Ruka Triple in Finland and on the, on the whole World Cup scene as it is now. So, Gus, great job on Ruka, and thanks for being with us. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the races and how you feel. Absolutely. Um, you're um, now in Davos, Switzerland, and you just competed in Ruka, Finland. Yep, correct. And you're in a hotel in Davos in the lobby, which is why you're wearing a mask, and I'm alone, which is why I'm not wearing a mask. Nice. Yep, good context. The <laughs> Wi-Fi is not good enough in our room. I've spent some time down here doing homework and stuff. Oh, get it. Okay, well, let's start off by asking you, how long were you in Kusumo before the event started? Uh, about eight, seven days, eight days, something like that. And how was the training and the scene before the events? I know, like I said, you guys, some pictures of you running the Nordic trails and them saying that the, the trails weren't ready yet. Were you able to train decently going into the events? Yeah, they. the very first day we were there, the trails weren't ready. Um, but right after they pushed out their race loop and then it also snowed a little more. So that mixed in with the, their like stored man-made snow made the training really good. So we had no, no problems with that. Um, oftentimes when you go to a venue like that, especially early season, you've got hurdles to, or obstacles to good training, such as limited training times or too much traffic on the, on the course or low snow or snowy streets making it difficult to jog. Did you have any of those types of challenges? Not really, honestly. Uh, the Most of the teams showed up like the day before, so it was a little busy testing skis the day before. But other than that, uh, it was super easy. We could go when we wanted, and we lived right there, so we didn't have to drive to the venue. Oh, perfect. So it was, yeah, it was as easy as I've ever had uh, at a race. So how did you do with the time change in jet lag? Um, pretty well, I'd say the travel messes you up enough that like that first night of sleep is pretty good. And then usually like a few days later, I've started to be like, Oh, I can't sleep past seven or seven thirty. That was my experience with my roommate, JC Schoonmacher. But, uh, it's, it hasn't been too much of a problem. Waking up at seven isn't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. That's one thing I like about international travel. You wake up early and yeah. kind of resets you with good habits, you know? Yeah. So one of the challenges in racing at the World Cup, especially in lower snow situations, is dialing in your pre-race routine, especially your warm-up. Sometimes you can't ski at all, and you just have to run and hop around. Sometimes going to the bathroom can be a challenge. Things that are simple at local venues can be a real obstacle. I know dialing this in was one of your goals going into the events. How did you do with your pre-race routine? Um, pretty well. There, it ended up being really easy in Ruka because the classic day, we could just warm up on the course because the women went significantly before us. And the skate day, we only used half the course, so we could warm up on the other half. And the sprint obviously doesn't use much either. So it was easy to just go out and test skis with, my tech and then I had plenty of space to do my warm-ups and there's also like plenty of bathrooms and the wax truck was close so yeah there's really no issue honestly 
That's great. That, to me, anyway, from my experience, it's quite unusual. It's super. Yeah, there's a lot of times when it's not as streamlined or like there's just so much in the way of like other things going on that those can get in the way. But I think maybe partly without spectators and not as many like vendors that takes away from or that just like gives more space for everyone else to do their thing. So it felt really easy. I get that without spectators, it makes it much easier. For example, uh, I'll try to dial this in myself. My second World Juniors in cross country back in the day, I needed to take a pee before my start, which is pretty common. And the line was too long. Yeah. And there were people everywhere. There was literally nowhere I could go. So I just ended up peeing with people all around me. And I felt like a total jerk, but I wanted to pee before my race, you know? And there, yeah. was, there was no way to do it. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, my lack of experience as well as um, perhaps a lack of, forethought in the organizers but so I'm, I'm glad there's something to figure this stuff out yeah that is one thing though on the world cup you see i mean maybe i don't really know but it seems like people pee kind of anywhere and everyone's just like yeah whatever because everyone else kind of also would rather be able to pee anywhere so once in a while there's just someone right on the edge of the trail with like a bunch of people warming up but whatever everyone yeah. needs to pee you know, that, that'd be cool with me. I'm talking, I was in, um, in a little kind of a pen area where only athletes were allowed, but there was um, plastic fencing with holes in it, and <laughs> there were spectators everywhere. And I had no way that I could face without exposing myself. And I just ended up yeah. be literally right in front of people. Like they were <laughs> away looking right at me, and I could turn it in. You know, it was really uncomfortable, and strange but it yeah. was like, you know what do you do I, I i it was a lack of experience on my part and you know whatever hey let's talk about the races so on the in the sprint you missed qualifying for the rounds in the classic sprint by two seconds about how did your yeah. qualifier go and how did you feel it went pretty well i think it was my first sprint qualifier in eight months or nine months even uh so I was definitely a little rusty, I think, but I felt like I was able to push pretty hard. I think I maybe didn't capitalize on my kick or could have asked for more kick on that last big Ruka climb. But uh, overall, I don't think I made any huge mistakes. I just like wasn't firing as well as I've fired before. And I'm, I was happy to be as close as I was feeling like that. And it was cool to have JC even closer. We were pretty excited about that for the very first race of the season. Yeah, absolutely. There's one thing I've, I've learned and noticed is in a situation like you, your first time on the World Cup, first period, which is really difficult, you have to manage expectations, not only your own, but other people's. Um, if you were in the United States racing at U.S. Nationals, more than likely your sprint qualifier would have been second place. And everyone would have been like, hey, man, Gus, that's incredible. Good job. You, you know, um, whereas on the World Cup, it's more or less qualify or don't qualify. And yeah, it, it's, 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 it's an interesting situation to be in. Um, so I just thought I'd throw that out. Have you ever, did you have those thoughts at all? Yeah, I tried. I had, I had to try pretty hard to, like, keep those result expectations from being, like, the forefront of my mind for – that weekend and you know they're always still there but I think I did a good job of kind of like switching my focus a little bit more to like these are the first race of the season and I need to focus on 
this, this, and this to race as best I can and understand that I'm not going to be at my peak right now. So, so first off, I agree. We'll talk about that some more later. But secondly, I think um, you'd probably be pretty happy with second place in U.S. Nationals in a qualifier. You know, like you wouldn't yeah. be like, oh, man, I screwed up or something. That's, that's damn good. And, and I was, yeah, and I was happy with 41st on the World Cup and historically kind of my worst event, too. Like, it was yeah. a good day. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I was happy with it. Yeah. Well, so the next day you had the 15K Classic. You finished 39th, a minute 56 out. With the exception of maybe David Norris and maybe Ian Torchia, who wasn't there, this was probably the equivalent of a U.S. National Championship again, you know, right, right up there. But um, it looked to me like you paced yourself well and had a really great last 5K. Can you give us a rundown of your race, please? Yeah, that was kind of my, my biggest focus and my biggest, like, source of nerves for that race was the pacing because there were some really steep hills and a lot of, like, fast flat in between. So I felt like really making use of that flat and not burning myself on the hills would help me out. And I think that was another race where I definitely didn't feel like my top notch, but I was really happy with how that pacing went. And I think like my biggest focus in, in pacing like that, like the biggest tangible focus is just making sure that first like three or four minutes is easier than I think I should be going. Like it always feels too easy if you're doing it right, I think. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of happened and, it went well, and I got to – in that last 5K, I skied with Shirota, which was fun. And then, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good race. For sure. <laughs> so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. My experience is racing an interval start at U.S. Nationals, for example, is very different for an American World Cup athlete than racing an interval start on the World Cup in terms of your mental attitude. And it perhaps shouldn't be, but it, it is. And what I mean by that is at U.S. Nationals, I think you would trust yourself. You wouldn't have any pressure to go faster. You'd, you'd trust yourself and you'd trust your pacing. You'd get some splits and you'd work your way into the race. Towards the end, you'd kind of turn the screws and fight for the win in the last lap. You know, that'd be kind of your game plan, right? But, but in sure. the World Cup, you kind of have the feeling you're losing time everywhere and you need – and, you know, your pacing might be – a plan for failure because you're getting beat everywhere. You know what I mean? So it's harder to yeah. trust yourself and to give yourself that patience to, to ski at your proper pace and then to turn the screws. There's a big mentality difference there. Can you talk about this, you know, the, the fight that you've had with that and having to kind of hold your line? Yeah. I mean, that's just the concept of skiing for the win versus like skiing for a time. And I think, it's a little weird at first to think like, oh, I just need to be going faster the whole time compared to what I would do at nationals. But like, if I think about what I do at nationals, I'm still going as fast as I can. Like that race is going to be my, the best performance on that day probably. So this is also just trying to be the best on a day. And I, you just have to remember that like, you're not going to be able to outski yourself because you're in a faster field necessarily. Like you're going to, you still have the same potential and you just want to reach that potential basically. That's a great and so I think that's like, you can't, it's not like some people say like, Oh, when you go to Europe, you just got to start hard and go harder. It's like maybe, but <laughs> you got to ski how you're used to skiing because that's how you do your best. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I do think there's, if a person starts too hard and then goes harder, 
more than likely they'll be slower than if yeah. they're skiing at the proper pace, worked into the race, and then finished to their ability. Yeah. Yeah, and it's difficult to do in the World Cup because you feel this pressure of, of I'm, I'm getting killed here, I need to go faster, I need to – and so hats off to you for doing it properly. It's, it takes discipline and confidence and really wisdom. All right. <laughs> I yeah, like the sound totally. of that. Yeah. So people often look at results with a critical eye, including yourself, I'm sure. They look at their place and they look at their time out of first. How did it feel, though, as a World Cup rookie to finish 1.9 seconds behind Olympic champion Simon Hegstad Kruger? It was good. It kind of, like, reinforces that not everyone is at their best right now. And, like, it doesn't mean I'm 1.9 seconds slower than Simon Hegstad Kruger at the Olympics, obviously. But, like, it just kind of, like, I guess that sort of helped remind me that if I even if I feel like this is not my best result right now, like he for sure feels like that. And not everyone is achieving their peak goals right now. Everyone's in different places. So that's kind of what that told me. And, and by that design. was reassuring. By design. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Super. Okay. Well, let's talk about Sunday. You had the skate pursuit on Sunday. You were able to start two seconds behind Simon Kruger, which is a neat opportunity. You moved up from 43rd to 32nd and scored World Cup points for the time of day result. Congratulations. Again, I think you had a fantastic last 5Ks. Please tell us about your race and, and maybe the decision you faced in starting right behind Kruger. Yeah, that was a, a fun position to be in a little bit because uh, I knew that would be a pretty fast time of day, kind of no matter what. The other part of that, that you left out is that I started three seconds ahead of the wave of, I think 30 or something. So there was a, basically a giant mass start that started right behind me. And I could hear that I was the last person before it. So like the beeper beep for me and I made it like 30 or 40 yards. And then I heard the second beep for the rest of the racers in the field. So <laughs> it was partly just trying to ski away from them. So I didn't get caught in that big group. And then I did, I caught Kruger, fairly quickly and that was helpful to sort of keep me out of the mess a little bit and then he started working his way through the field faster than I was so I ended up just with the leaders of that wave start which was good and there's a lot of central European skiers and pretty steady pace Scott Patterson was in there and yeah that was a fun race that the the 2.5k lap for that course was felt a lot faster and yeah, like you were able to ski a lot faster than the 5K. I don't know exactly why, but I think it was just there's that big recovery in the middle there. Watching on TV, it looked to me like you moved up a ton the last uh, two laps. Yeah, I think there was one point where I was with a group with Scott and he bridged to the next group and I maybe did too. It was kind of like a little bit of mayhem. It was hard to tell where I was, but – Generally, it felt like I was with the same group the whole time. I don't think I was, but <laughs> yeah, I I think I was in, I was toward the front of the group I was in, which helped for placing. I think because the group itself was maybe six or eight people, and I finished third out of it, which was only a couple seconds difference, but quite a few spots. Well, great job and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that I, was a fun race. I have a couple questions. 
In the sprint race, I, it looked to me like you wore the Profi gloves with a blue on one hand and a red on the other hand. Is yeah. That what you did? That, yeah. It's kind of fun to be able to play with a red, white, and blue and uh, with color and stuff. Yeah, and match the suit well. In the 15K Classic, I saw you at the start and you wore the new blue and white Thermal Plus gloves. But yeah. you wrote something that the Thermal Plus gloves have a white stripe on the knuckles and the fingers and on the knuckles on the hand. And you wrote something and you showed it to the camera, but the camera's a little bit too far away and I couldn't read it. What did you have on your knuckles? What did you write? Yeah, I needed to write it darker, but I wrote Hold Fast. It was from, uh, it's from Master and Commander. And it kind of just like, yeah, hold fast, I guess. Just hold on. <laughs> cool. I thought it was kind of cool. I had that idea in the fall and I was like, oh, I should do that. Yeah, but. it's awesome. <laughs> Being in the World Cup. Similar to the uh, Alex Harvey writing his, writing his phone number, I think, on his gloves that one time. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember where that was, but I do remember that he did that. So being in the World Cup for the first time, especially in the first period, which is super competitive and not the least bit relaxed, can be very stressful, especially for someone who has worked for a long time for the opportunity to pursue their World Cup goals. It looks to me like you and JC are having a good time and taking everything in stride and relaxed, but obviously focused and you, you know, you're performing really well. Can you talk about your attitude and what you're focusing on, please? Yeah. Um, I think both of us are probably have a little feel like we have less expectations because we're younger right now. And so that makes it easy to kind of approach this season from more of a learning standpoint. And that makes it easy to, sort of relax and just like drink everything in and do what we can but have fun during it and I hope that can like keep going because this is fun and I, I think it will it feels sustainable and just like basically hanging out with him and looking at this as a really awesome opportunity that not a ton of people get to travel a bunch and race especially like when we love racing like we do and yeah it's a good life and I'm glad we can live it. That's great. And um, I also think that it's a critical thing for you to have attitude because if you don't, the pressure and the kind of banging your head against the wall to move up is faster and faster and faster. It can chew you up and spit you out and take the, any element of joy out of the travel, out of the whole experience, the fun with your roommates, of course, the racing. It can, it can eliminate the joy from it, which – which um, is poisonous, toxic. So good yeah. job that. I think you can have both a little bit too. Like I know we, we want to get faster and faster. Like we want to do better than we are now, but we understand at the same time that there's time to do that. And yeah, just to enjoy, enjoy the journey to, the, to that point instead of like being impatient and wanting to be there now, I guess. I wouldn't mind being there now, but <laughs> I got time. You know, I mean, of course you guys are trying to get faster. You work your tails off for years to be there and you get this great opportunity. You know, that's, that's, that's there, you know. I think it's really healthy to be chill, to think about, you know, the long, the long haul and, and to, to find joy in the way and to goof off a little bit. And, you know, I think it's really healthy. So here's something for you. One challenge of the World Cup and all the travel that you are doing and going to be doing is food. There are a lot of changes in food depending on a venue, depending on the country. In Finland, for example, I've been to Finland very many times racing. And this one time I stayed in Rovaniemi, 
Finland for three weeks, and pretty much the entire time I had moose and moose meat and potatoes for, for three weeks. Um, in Austria, for example, a very common meal was with this one place I was staying many times is fried cheese and meat. It's oftentimes difficult to find healthy and easily digested food. How have you done thus far with food? Yeah, so in Finland, you're right. There's a lot of potatoes going on. Um, and we they we just had dinner from dinner served. So the lunch and breakfast we bought from the grocery store. So that was easy enough to just do what we liked, have pasta and eggs and whatever. Um, but I brought some hot sauce for the for the boiled potatoes that seemed to be about every other day there. Um, and then here in Davos at the hotel we're at, the food is super good. Like uh, really good. Like I've never been a soup guy, but the soup is super good. And there's, yeah, I mean, they've got just regular stuff like pasta and rice. So here it's super easy to just eat what they serve us because it's healthy and super tasty. But yeah, I think being able to like go to the, like understand that if you need it just to go to the grocery store and some places might not have that as easily accessible, but I think there's always a way to make it work for you. Cool. So I want to talk about another subject. It's, it's more or less the balance between adapting to your changing environment and changing your environment to adapt to you, controlling your environment. So when a lot of people travel, they make every effort to keep everything the way they want it from their bed to the food, to the room temperature, to the humidity, et cetera. I understand this because one needs to be able to sleep well and feel well. However, too much of this makes a person inflexible and easily put off their game. I think being mentally flexible is an important skill for a person in your position traveling and racing and training and so on. This means, for example, packing food and complete changes of clothes so that if a ride is delayed, you don't get a chill or miss out on a glycogen window and anticipating group transport or logistical type stuff, which you can accommodate if you are prepared. How are you doing at finding a balance in this respect? Um, pretty well, I'd say. I don't know. I feel like I'm fairly adaptable. Like I don't really care that much about my environment, but I think I've realized that the whole winter away from home is a long time to sort of be in a different atmosphere. So I try to, I guess my biggest thing is like when I get to a new place, I try to like get all my stuff organized. So like I have the most amount of time with not my stuff, like not just in a suitcase. Um, and I also brought like the pillowcase that I have at home that has my dog, like a picture of my dog on it, which <laughs> kind of makes it feel more like home a little bit. But generally I feel like at least right now, that stuff isn't super important to me. Cool. The Brits, for example, their cycling team, they were, they were working really hard on incremental designs, uh, incremental improvements. And uh, they, they, for example, they carry the pillows with them everywhere they go, so they're the same exact pillow. So your neck doesn't get a crick in it if it's too, the pillow in the hotel is too big or too small. They, 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 they do all these things that they focus on the minute, most minute details. But at the same time, I guess that's part of the joy and adventure of travel, you know. So if you control your environment too much, it kind of takes the fun out of it, in a sense. You know what I mean? The adventure a little bit? A little bit, yeah. I mean, you can't control it that much, I think. I don't have that much space. I couldn't carry a pillow with me. but yeah. Or like a full bed or like 
most of these things like we're just going to have to adapt to. So yeah, being able to adapt, I think is important. Cool. Have you got any, anything that's a little bit out of the ordinary that you would bring in your backpack to um, your bag to a workout that would give you more flexibility and less of kind of a crisis situation if a driver delayed, like I said, your clothes and food and I don't know what else you might have. Uh, I always have my wallet in there and usually a change of shoes. So I don't have to be in ski boots, I guess. Generally, like it's not been an issue because the team, we're just taking team vans, especially like with COVID, we're not taking public transport. So cool. that's pretty dialed. But if I needed to, I think I could figure it out pretty easily. I mean, even taking a team van, you know, one person uh, comes late, coming back from the workout, for example, and the other people are early. And, you know, if you have to wait 30 minutes or something for someone, it can kind of be an issue in terms of your health and well-being and feeling like you're dialing it in you know so cool yeah that's actually one thing though that this team or like the coaches are acutely uh aware of and they've been really good about making sure that doesn't happen because like even though it doesn't seem like that big a deal like 30 minutes just standing around outside and like not eating lunch is kind of a big deal so we've been good about syncing stuff up and making sure everyone's sort of on the same page and it, there hasn't been anything weird yet. That's fantastic. So you're in Davos now. How many days have you been in Davos thus far? And what is your impression of the course and the general scene? We've been here about a week, a little like one day more than a week, maybe. Although we traveled Monday, so about a week. Um, the general scene is awesome. It's really cool here. Uh, they got a, they had their, the track laid out when we got here. So we had 4k of skiing and then, uh, a couple of days later, it snowed like two feet. So now there's snow everywhere and they're grooming up to the hotel. And this is really just a postcard place. <laughs> it almost feels like it's crazy being here. And it's cool. There's some other teams here that are just training, like Russia's here, Great Britain, Czech, uh, Switzerland, obviously. But yeah, it's a good atmosphere. Sure. I think the whole team likes it here. So this last weekend, you had a couple of time trials, and you did really well in the skate sprint. Was that skate sprint, it looked to me like it was, I just saw one picture from it, but it looked like it was from the actual World Cup course, that two-lapper. Yeah. Did that course suit you, and, and what are your thoughts on the skate sprint? Yeah, I like the course. It was, it's a really, like, interesting course in that it's, like, fairly easy. There's, like, a lot of flat. Well, there's a, a lot of flat. There's one hill, so I get per lap. There's two hills, um, but it really rewards like smooth skiing through the gradual flats and like good cornering because there's two pretty tight corners per lap. So you end up skiing four tight corners. Um, and I think those are pretty important in the qualifier anyway and in the heats and just being able to relax and not like rush, even though it's a two and a half minute qualifier or sprint loop it's uh at altitude and there's not a whole lot of rest so yeah that's why uh sophie and Simi have done so well here in the past i think so on this sprint day you were hot you know there were pictures all over the place Are you talking with federico pellegrino after the it might have been during the heats i think i think or after the final but you were talking about skis with him you guys both ski rosignol i guess you were probably comparing notes about skis what was that about yeah, he just – he has to look at my skis 
because he we were on the same we were on S2s with the same grind and he was looking at the serial number to see if they were brothers he said just like to see if they were manufactured close to one another they weren't but we hopped on one another's just to see how fast they were it's, it's always good when um, the, <laughs> one of the top two best skate sprinters in the world wants to look at your skis afterwards and check them out. It's always a, a good feeling, I guess. <laughs> you have pretty good boards. There. Yeah, yeah. We we all went on uh, CH six, so maybe he was checking to see if I was cheating or not. <laughs> he was so, like, oh, "Let's see if let's see if I was actually fast, or if or if someone was up to no good." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, breaking out all the all the tricks for the time trial. <laughs> yeah okay did you do the distance time trial as well and if so how did that go yeah there's a reason there aren't as many pictures from that i think partly because it wasn't as fun or cool but uh yeah it didn't go as well for me i think i was tired from the day before and it was day four or five at altitude so that wasn't my best day but i kind of it accomplished the job i wanted which was to get some time at a higher intensity and get a feel for the course um I got kind of smoked, but it was it was good in the sense that I think I got some fitness and got a, a taste of what's to come on Sunday. Yeah. I know you're a great classic skier, but I'm really looking forward to watching you compete in these skate events. Um, I think you're, uh, you've got a great potential to do well, and it's just going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It will be yeah. fun. So switching gears to COVID. Can you please first tell me, tell us how the U.S. Nordic team is dealing with COVID and masks? I gather, from what I understand, you don't wear a mask when you're only with your roommate. So when you and JC are together alone, you don't wear masks. But with your, when you're with the rest of the team or people other than the team, you are wearing masks and distancing. Is that correct? Yeah. We also don't uh, – I guess we, we have spotty mask wearing when we're outside training. So, like, on the trails, I'll wear a mask sometimes. I'll wear a mask when I'm, like, in the ski depot or stopped. Or sometimes just skiing easy warm-up and cool down. Um, but, like, when, I, when we're doing intervals, we don't wear masks. But coaches generally wear masks. Or, like, people that aren't skiing outside. And then, like, at, at meals, we sit at tables with, like, kind of our pods a little bit. So, we, like... I definitely like don't wear a mask around JC because we just live together unless we're in public. But at meals, then I sit with JC, Logan and Kevin. So we end up spending a little bit of time around each other without masks. But generally, like we uh, tend to wear masks like everywhere in public other than training and eating. So out of curiosity, when you're doing the distance ski, you said sometimes you wear a mask. Are you pulling up a buff kind of a thing, or do you actually have a, do you have a mask that you pull out and put on? Yeah, I have a mask that goes around the back of my head, so it doesn't have to be on my ears. And then I'll just, like, it can be around my chin. Then it's and it goes up and down easy, and, like, a buff doesn't get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, what other protocols are in place from the U.S. ski team side of things? Um. There's a kind of a lot to go over, I guess, but we don't generally need like, just, just yeah, yeah, I just generally like we're not athletes don't go into like any public place, no public transportation. I guess we went to the grocery store in Finland. We were allowed to, I guess we're allowed to go to the grocery store with a mask on, but 
we avoid it. We definitely like can't go to like bars or restaurants. Um, yeah. And then travel is, uh, when we're in the airport, like masks, obviously, and we've been wearing face shields too, but a lot of it from here is going to be driving, which will be good because then we're just with our teams. Yeah. So uh, pretty much everyone, I assume, knows that the Norwegians, Finns, and Swedes have pulled out of the next two World Cup weekends due to concerns about COVID. Can you share your thoughts on this, and do you have any reservations yourself? Yeah. Um, I understand why they did it. Like, I think it nothing's perfectly safe, and there's – yeah, like I think some of their concerns about Ruka were that the the start and finish areas were pretty small and maybe some media stuff was weird. I'm not totally sure what the whole specifics were, but I mean, we're already over here. And I think for us to go back would be probably more dangerous than now. Because we, I mean, yeah. I think we feel fairly safe with the travel that we're doing on our own and the, the places that we're in here and the rules that we have at least make me feel quite safe, actually safer than being at home where cases are really high. So I'm, I'm glad that they're holding the races because I think they're doing a good job about taking that, uh, those changes, like those criticisms in stride. And they've mentioned that they're going to try to work on those things. Um, but yeah, I think we have good rules to keep it safe and, I hope that they come back and I hope that they can feel safe at the world cup again, but I understand why they'd want to just stay home and train. To, to my limited knowledge, I think there are Russians, Ukrainians, maybe a Moldovan that have tested positive for COVID. I don't know of other, uh, I know of other false positives. Do you see athletes not being smart with distancing and masks? Are there any trends like one team seems to be relaxed about it and other teams are, you know, really disciplined about it? Not necessarily. I think we don't see a lot of other teams besides at the trails and mm. most people, I think, yeah, most people, I would say our team is probably more uh, consistent about wearing masks outside than other teams, but I, no one's really bad. And I think we all sometimes just need a reminder to wear masks when we can and yeah, no one. I don't think anyone has any like problems with other teams right now. Cool. Well, I'm really excited about this weekend. I'm looking forward to watching it, as I'm sure you're even more excited about skiing the races. Is there anything else you you uh, would like to share with the skiing public? Um. Gosh, I feel like I probably had some stuff, but I talked to uh, Chad Salmola, who's going to do the broadcasting for NBC, because this. Uh, Last weekend was not broadcast in the U.S. I think people had to kind of search to find those races. But this time, NBC is going to stream it live and do a, a recorded broadcast. And Chad seems pretty fired up about uh, commentating for that. So I'm excited that it's easier to watch now because I think that's important. It absolutely is. So my understanding is that the events will be broadcast on the Olympic Channel and also on the Peacock Premium service which is yep. like five bucks a month and it's super easy to subscribe to and it's got a ton of value as far as i'm concerned it's great yeah i think the peacock one is the live version and olympic channel is the later broadcast yeah but peacock's also got on demand so you can do it you can watch it anytime you want later nice yeah yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Okay. Uh, I like the fact that you've started, you've stated quite a few times that you don't have any solid expectation for yourself in this first period, except to work your way into the season and to learn. I think it is possible to try too hard and not leave yourself room to grow into the season and simply stress out and lose the joy of the experience. I think you're doing great. And I look forward to both following your events as well as catching up with you later. Good luck this weekend. We'll be cheering for you. And um, I guess I should also mention people want, they can follow you on your blog at gusshoemaker.com. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have a new post up here about Davos part one, I think, in the next couple of days. Super. Well, I'll check it out. Yeah. In this call. All right, cool. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, good talk.